We're celebrating Marketplace's 35th anniversary with some throwback thank you gifts available during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. Recently on the Marketplace Morning Report, you heard our Democracy in the Desert series. We took you to places characterized by researchers as news deserts to see what communities stand to lose when they're without a local news ecosystem, especially during an election year. This kind of reporting takes resources. David Brancaccio went on a six-day reporting trip with two of our producers, grounding themselves in these communities and meeting locals who are trying to find solutions and fill the gaps. Every donation to Marketplace helps sustain this kind of in-depth journalism. Please give what you can today at marketplace.org slash donate. As Indonesia counts its votes, how is the economy playing its part? Hello, you're listening to the Marketplace Morning Report, live from the BBC World Service. I'm Leanna Byrne, and a very good morning to you. Indonesia, it's Southeast Asia's largest economy and the world's third largest democracy. And right now, it's tallying votes in its presidential election. Initial estimates indicate that Prabowo Subianto, the country's defence minister, holds a significant lead. He's competing against two former provincial governors in the race to succeed the popular outgoing president, Joko Widodo. And in this election campaign, economic growth and jobs have been top of the agenda. The BBC's Steve Lai has more. Just to give you some background then, the voting age in Indonesia is 17, and voter turnout at the last election was 80%. So if you add to that that about 52% of registered voters are under the age of 40, with one-third of the total under the age of 30, then you get a clear idea that there's a very young population and a very engaged electorate here in Indonesia. And that could hold the key to any winning candidate. So knowing what they want is important. And if you look at unemployment, it's just over 5%. But what's telling is, if you look deeper into the numbers, you'll find that for those under 25 years old, that number jumps to around 19%, which is concerning given Indonesia's young population. So I sat down with University of Indonesia students. Uh, They were all uh, voting in their second election. They were around 22 years old, and they'll be graduating soon. So they are young, but they're also paying attention to politics and who their next leader might be. And because they will be entering the workforce soon and looking for jobs, that was very much what was on their minds. Everybody said we will create a gazillion of new jobs for first graduate, uh, but I don't really buy it anymore because every year we have uh, 1.5 billion new first graduate. And I'd like to see how you can accommodate that. I think what, what the important things like us in generation We are seeking a president that can create lots of jobs, but not just in quantity, but also in quality. So we are hoping they don't give us empty promises. As youths, we are going to the workforce to help support Indonesia's economic growth. The concerns of young voters who make up over half of the electorate are centered around job opportunities and the cost of living. I spoke to Siwaj Dhamma Negara from the Indonesia Studies Program at ICZU Sufik Shak Institute, and he told me the next president's ability to address these concerns, particularly those of the large youth demographic, is seen as crucial for economic and social development in Indonesia. We asked Indonesian people about what are the key issues that they want the new government to put as priority. So the number one priority is actually jobs. 
And this answer is consistent. If you ask the young people and if you ask the older generation, they also consider that jobs opportunities is an important challenge and should be priority for the next government. Steve Lai with that report. Now, let's do the numbers. Exporters estimate that the amount of cocoa arriving at ports in Ivory Coast, one of the world's top cocoa producers, was 33% lower from October 1st till mid-February when you compare it to the same time last year. And when supply goes down, prices go up, which is why cocoa prices are at record highs. Now, protesting Indian farmers have clashed with the police after resuming their march towards the capital, Delhi. Chaos erupted at the Shamboom border between the northern states of Punjab and Haryana, where the farmers were stopped on Tuesday. Farmers are demanding minimum guaranteed price for a range of crops, debt relief and the withdrawal of cases against some of them from previous protests. The BBC's Nitin Srivastuv has the latest. I've been speaking to farmers who spent last night on tractor trolleys. There are hundreds of them and they expect thousands to join them today. It is estimated that about 100,000 people are gearing to come to all the borders of Delhi between today and tomorrow. And that is a big worry for the administration, for the local authorities, because they really don't want the farmers to get inside Delhi and see a repeat of a situation which happened in the year 2021 when the farmer protests lasted for more than a year, resulting in dozens of deaths. Nitin Srivastuf there. An African woman has become the most expensive women's soccer player ever. Zambia's Rachel Kundanangi was bought by American side Bay FC for $860,000 from Madrid CFF. She said her record fee was a surprise. I wasn't expecting this. I think uh, this um, uh, is a great sign that uh, we are going to have a great future in women football. Uh, um, a lot of uh, things will change and a lot of mentality of women or girls out there will change because when they see this, they are going to, you know, get motivated. Growing up, I was looking up to DJ Droba, Ronaldinho, and I, Golo Kante is my favorite. Uh, but I was looking up to all these Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, <laughs> because I was watching a lot of uh, men football. I, I never knew there was women football before. You know, every time when I'm watching Chelsea, because Chelsea has been my favorite team, every time I'm watching Chelsea play, I see the camera following the play. I'm like, one day, I just want to play football. So what does she think the reaction will be back home? They'll be surprised, but again, um, they'll be so happy. They'll be so happy because most of them, this is what they've been waiting for. And uh, they've been talking about this uh, for a long time. You know, every time when I'm playing football, they always, uh, some would even test me and tell me, uh, you know, encourage me to continue working hard and say, maybe one day you'll break some records, which nobody has ever uh, done before. And I'm sure now this is the first one and, they are more coming. <laughs> That's a milestone for women's soccer, but there's still some way to go before it catches up with the men's game in terms of cash. To put it into context, in 2017, Brazilian legend Neymar moved from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain for almost $262 million. And that's it from the Marketplace Morning Report from the BBC World Service. I'm Leanna Byrne. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>